CGM 99.1 FM programming is hosted almost exclusively by community volunteers. The views and opinions expressed on the following program are that of the host and their guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of CJAM FM. For more information and resources, visit our website at cjam.ca. Hi, I'm Samantha, a past guest on CJAM's HandyLink. You're listening to HandyLink on CJAM 99.1 FM, reaching high ground in Windsor, Detroit. Sponsored by the Italian-Canadian Handy Capable Association, an organization that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor-Essex. For more information, check out ICHA on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. Today's show is going to feature a couple of on-location interviews from a recent Disability Summit. First up, we're going to hear from Liberal MP Anita Vanderbilt. This is Cam Wells here with Anita Vanderbilt. She's going to be telling us a little bit about the Disability Summit meeting she attended today and some of the ideas that were presented. So what was your biggest takeaway from all this? Well, I think one of the big takeaways in this for me is really how many people this impacts. Um, one of the things that was discussed today was that about 20% of people are affected in terms of uh, disability, but if you look at the families, if you look at the broader community, it actually impacts a lot more people. And, and so this, this idea that if you are able to provide supports, if you're able to, as a, as a federal government, uh, provide what people need, it's not just helping the people who are living with a disability, but it's also going to be impacting a lot of their family members, a lot of the community, uh, and it would actually help economically by bringing people back into the workforce, but also the caregivers. So do you see this as having a long-term impact as per the term not disabled yet, meaning statistically in every family and at some point in our lives? most of us, if not all, will encounter some kind of disability. Well, I think that's something that many Canadians don't think about, uh, don't want to think about, but it is a reality. And it is one of the, uh, the, the groups that would that people can become disabled. Um, I don't know that people think that way. I, I think that Probably looking at somebody in their uh, in their friendship group, somebody in their uh, in their own circle, uh, who is living with this, is probably more impactful on people than something that might happen someday. Um, but at the same time, we all need to be very much aware that providing this kind of support 
is not just the right thing to do for others, but it is also, in some ways, a form of insurance for ourselves. So in that sense, do you have any advice for people as to what steps they can take to get informed and to really understand these issues so they can take actions, even if it's just in small way? Well, one of the things when I first got elected uh, almost seven years ago now uh, is that I wanted to make a special effort to hear from people who don't have strong political voice. So not just the lobbyists, but people who wouldn't necessarily even think of going to a town hall meeting or phoning their member of parliament to book an appointment. And what I've discovered is it really is people living with disabilities who are the least likely to call their MP or show up at a meeting. But what's happened with COVID, uh, one of the, you know, it's a terrible thing what's happened with COVID, but uh, one of the silver linings is that so much of the outreach that I do as a member of parliament and others in parliament and other politicians is now done online. And I think it makes it a little bit easier uh, for people to, instead of having to go to a town hall meeting, could be in a snowstorm and physically present with, you know, 100 people and stand up at a microphone, uh, I think it makes it a lot easier to just go to a Zoom meeting or call their MP and make sure that their member of parliament knows that these are issues that really matter and that are important. I, I think to underestimate the impact of what what a voice on the other end of the phone line means to a member of parliament, um, you can't underestimate that because we hear the story, we're talking to that real person, and we as, as politicians, we represent people. And that's something that we feel very deeply as, as elected members. So hearing that story from somebody who's living it is going to impact uh, politicians, it's going to impact elected members uh, like myself. So make that call, make that effort, um, and, and not just because you're asking for something, but make that effort and say, I'd just like to talk to my MP about the kinds of challenges we face and some possible solutions. I think that would be something that would be very positive. So, in your time advocating for those who need greater representation, has there been any success moment as related to disabilities that stands out for you? Well, certainly the passing of the Accessibility Act, and uh, that was something that came from years and years of advocacy uh, of, of people with, with lived experience, uh, and I think passing that was, uh, was definitely a high point. Uh, and now, more recently, we've tabled the legislation on uh, disability benefit that will work a little bit like the Guaranteed Income Supplement for low-income seniors. Um, that benefit is going to change things, and again, it came from people who were talking to their elected representatives and telling us how how I, I think just understanding how challenging it is for people some of the stories I've heard of people trying to live on ODSP and the basic things that most of us take for granted that people struggle with and you know it I think knowing that and even though it's a provincial responsibility has really made uh, the federal government look at it and say there's a gap here we need to help people so that was certainly a success I'm hoping that we'll have some success uh, going going forward the next step of course being uh, the supports that people with disabilities need um, we've also one of the things personally that was important to me being an MP in Ottawa is that 
we have public servants. And one of the things I advocated for was to set a quota of 5,000 people with developmental disabilities or who are on the spectrum to be hired into the public service. And that was something that I pushed uh, quite a bit, and that was something that we actually did do. Uh, I don't think it's enough. We have to do more. We have to expand that. We have to be an example to the private sector. If the federal government isn't, isn't the example, then who is? Um, so there have been some successes. There have been moments, but people with disabilities are still living far, far below what their potential is and what they deserve. What's interesting is you just touched on the point that I always bring up, which is inclusion is not an afterthought. You should hire these people because they're the best ones for the job. And in the case of people with disabilities, they can bring interesting insights and probably greater job retention. Absolutely. And um, we've all seen some of the success stories in the private sector, uh, but I do think the public sector has to be a leader. And this is one of the key things that I heard this afternoon, is that this isn't charity. This is an investment. And it's something that is beneficial to all of society, but certainly for people who want to contribute, to be able to do that, to be able to contribute to the maximum of their potential, to, to feel that it, it's not just about the money of having a job, it's, it's that pride of, of being able to, to, to do that, um, I think is really important. Thank you very much for taking the time. My pleasure, anytime. It's Cam Wells here with Max Bro. He'll be telling me a little bit about his work here at BDO and trying to improve disability initiatives here in the city of Ottawa. Tell me a little bit about your work. Well, what I do is, is I'm a consultant and I go and chase any kind of um, federal, provincial, municipal and even corporate uh, proposals out there looking at how to help integrate people with disabilities into the workforce or dealing with policy resets or how to deal with clients with disabilities. And there's a lot of work in this particular field right now. So you were saying to me earlier that there are a lot of pitfalls in terms of uh, people actually looking at every group to provide support except those with disabilities. Well, the problem is, is that when you, when you talk about, you know, any group, be it, be it a government organization or a federal or a, a corporate organization, there's a lot of questions about what, what do we need to put into place to ensure that we get as much out of that employee with a disability. So there's always the question about what kind of accommodations are going to be put into place, how much does it cost to put into place, that kind of fun stuff. And so they need somebody like myself with lived experience who've been doing this for almost 20 years to come in and explain to them what the actual costs are and, and reduce the fears of hiring people with disabilities. So where do you think these myths come from, these misperceptions that an accommodation, for example, will be prohibitively expensive and I'll, I can be sued for every little thing? I don't know. The, the, the reality is I don't know. Like, it, there, there is a great myth that was existing out there for a long time that said that the average cost of accommodation for a person with a disability was anywhere between 500 to $1,000. And when I started hearing that a few years ago, I won't say almost 20 years ago, I started asking myself, what was the root of this? And what I discovered was in 1984, Texas Instruments wrote a, an annual report that said that they discovered that the annual cost of a person with a disability's accommodation was between 500 to $1,000. That was 1984. Now we're, what, uh, 2022? Put inflation to that. 
I would say that the average cost of a person with a disability accommodation is anywhere between $3,500 to $5,000. So there are some questions about the actual costs of accommodations. So if you look at a push button, for example, if you put a push button in any location, that's going to cost you anywhere between $3,500 to $5,000. But if you look at the long-term benefits of having a dedicated employee with a disability who brings fresh innovation and better job retention by and large. Uh, yeah, and, and, and this, is, this is the biggest um, thing that, that kills me is that I fundamentally believe that a very diverse workforce brings you diverse ideas and, and ways of looking at solutions that you would have never had if you just had a very um, you know, singular focus on employment. I think the more diverse the workforce is by having people with disabilities, racialized communities, and indigenous people on your staff, you're going to have a whole influence of different ideas and different scopes on how to solve problems. And in today's world, that's all it is. It's about solving problems, about solving and building relationships. So the more people you have on board that can give you those kind of solutions, the more innovative the company is going to be, the more your profit line is going to be bigger. And we're seeing that across the board right now. So in your advocacy efforts and uh, your push for workers with disabilities, has there been any success you've experienced that stands out for you? Well, what I'm starting to see now is, is with the new act coming into place, the federal act, I'm starting to see a, um, a greater understanding of that it is simple to accommodate individuals. It is uh, helping with the bottom line. But the overall success is that, you know, you're starting to see corporations like Microsoft and Capital One and other organizations that are starting to recognize that not only is it great for the workforce, but it's also great for the consumers that they sell, they sell their products to. So from a Microsoft point of view, most of their products are now becoming more and more accessible. And when you look at organizations like Capital One and some of the banking industry, they realize that they're getting more and more clients that are signing up for their services. And at the end of the day, that's what it is, right? How many clients can you come up to sign up to keep your services going? So they're starting to see that there's money within the organization, within the disability community right now. So if you could send any message to the community about what needs to happen to sort of unify the workforce and uh, keep people with disabilities at the forefront, what would you say? To be honest with you, um, I would say start connecting with organizations like, you know, Canadian corporations and government institutions and start applying and submitting your CVs to them directly. I would say get rid of the third parties like the NGO organizations that take your resume and go represent yourself. You're your best, your best advocate. You're the best voice for yourself. Thank you very much. Handy Link will be right back after these commercial messages, so stay tuned. So you're hanging with your inner circle. Maybe you're making cocktails. Maybe you're packing bowls. Even while we're distancing, it's important to remember, alcohol and cannabis each mess with your driving skills. Be cool. Make sure you and your friends get home safe. Take a cab if you need to. A few bucks could save a life. And we can do it again next weekend. A message from Arrive Alive, Drive Sober.
Welcome back to HandyLink, sponsored by the Italian-Canadian Handy Capable Association, an organization that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor-Essex. For more information, check out ICHA on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. Earlier in our show, we heard from Max Bro. He told us a little bit about his work to advocate for people with disabilities in the workforce, and from MP Anita Vanderbilt. In this segment of our show, John Kelly will be telling us about Extraordinary Bodies. So, can you tell me a little bit about your work with Extraordinary Bodies? Yeah, uh, well, um, I'm a a musician, uh, a solo artist, a musician, and I work freelance uh, with Extraordinary Bodies. And Extraordinary Bodies are uh, an integrated uh, circus company of disabled and non-disabled artists. Um, so my role, I've been with Extraordinary Bodies for since about 2015. Um, so I've, I've been there on a few shows with them, uh, including their last show, which was called Human. So... Do you find that there's enough uh, representation of disabilities in the music world? Uh, in the music industry, I think there is, but it's uh, it's uh, it's not on the surface. It's not kind of openly uh, there. It's not obvious. You have to do a bit of digging around. Um, but I think there is a there is a thriving disability arts movement. But you have to dig around for it a little bit. Um, I think the music industry is always in need of, you know, updating and changing so there's better representation. But, um, you know, I think it is there. It's, I think it's wrong to assume there are no disabled artists out there because I think that the world is full of rich tapestry of disabled artists. You've just got to dig around for it a little bit more. So, through your work with Extraordinary Bodies... Do you find that uh, some of the myths or misperception concerning disability might be cleared up through seeing these art demonstrations? Um, I think there's always like a, it's like anything, isn't there? When there's a bit of a fear of the unknown or the fear of something that's a bit different, there's a, there's a certain amount of doing things that are going to help people to just get on and you know, uh, carry on as uh, as ordinary. So I think extraordinary bodies has always got a little bit of a role to to encourage a change in mindset or a change in the physicality of the environment or you know that sort of stuff. So there's always barriers that kind of exist, but the attitudinal barriers because I think the beautiful thing about the arts and for me as a musician music um breaks down those barriers pretty quickly it's one of the most effective ways of helping people to just kind of yeah realize that we're all different and actually it's the music or the art or the circus whatever it is that connects us so i think extraordinary bodies is a a pretty uh you know obviously extraordinary bodies uses circus to break down those barriers and give the audience a connection, you know, to find how you connect with the stories. 
So I, you know, I think Extraordinary Bodies does an amazing job at breaking down those stereotypes and perceptions that people have and maybe challenges a few of the ideas as well that people might hold. So, with the last show, uh, what sorts of adaptations did they use in the circus arts for those with disabilities? So, um, as a disabled person, um, like, you know, as an artist, I've got what I call an access rider. So, um, and my access rider says, I'm a professional musician. Um, for me to be able to perform to my, to my best, um, I need these things in place. Um, and so, um, you know, it, it can be everything from access onto the stage, um, how the back, backstage is set up. But then for, for me as an artist, I also want to give my, the audience an inclusive experience. So we also bring access out so that it's part of the aesthetic of the performance. So we have BSL interpretation, we have captioning, um, we have audio description, um, all those kind of things that make a performance more inclusive of different audiences. You know, the other thing we do is we ensure that the performances are relaxed so people um, feel free to move around or feel comfortable or uh, just feel like they can be themselves without having to... Yeah, I, I think it's about being upfront. So... Um, but what's really, really important about access is that it's all part of the show. It's all built in. And it's a very natural part of me being on stage. It's not like a clinical, medical model build-on. It's, it's all part and parcel of, you know, me being a performer. Um, and you quickly see it, you quickly get over it, and you quickly get in tune with, you know, I'm a, so Extraordinary Bodies uses uh, circus and I use music and when I work with Extraordinary Bodies, we, we combine it and, it and it's just a beautiful, beautiful experience. And of course, using different uh, disciplines like circus, like theatre. So our circus tends to be theatrical, it's telling a story. Um, and all those kind of tools, if you like, mean that access is all over the place. It's 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 embedded in everything we do. I hope that I hope that makes sense. Absolutely. So with something like circus arts in particular, there might be this mindset that someone with a disability couldn't equally perform. But uh, sounds like you're really tearing down that uh, at first glance sort of look. But, uh, yeah, and I think there's a little bit about being bold. There's a bit about being radical. There's a little bit about uh, a new, a new sort of confidence um, and not shying away from stuff. So um, Claire Hodgson, who's the artistic director, always says to me when we sort of talk backstage or we talk in development out the devising of the shows you know we can say some difficult things we can challenge 
some of the questions that are hard to answer through the work that we create and produce because somehow saying those difficult things, some of those emotional things, they kind of play out easier through movement or through song or through music. So, you know, and, and actually the audience kind of get it. You know, it's a, uh, yeah, so that, that breaking down the barriers, it's not as, it's not as difficult as, as maybe we, we make out um, if everyone's open, if everyone's open to trying something a bit new and joining in, you know, it's, it's very, it's, it's not about the audience sitting there and receiving it all. It's about an active, an active thing, you know? So we include, we, we encourage everyone to get involved. So in your time working with extraordinary bodies, is there any mm. success moment you've experienced that stands out for you? Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, the successes are the small things, you know. So we do a lot of work. So obviously we're a professional touring company. So we tour all over the country and I've, I've taken shows to Ireland and we've been to, you know, different places. Uh, you know, uh, there's currently um, international work going on. Um, and I think that the, the, the successes are are in little stories that people tell you. They're little things that the audience would come up afterwards and say, oh, I've never experienced that. Or even better, I, I, saw, I saw myself in that show. And those are the successes that we really celebrate, where we've really made a connection with people. We do a lot of work in the areas that we perform in. So we don't just rock up and do the show and then go away. Um, Extraordinary Bodies are really well known for spending some time getting to know the local communities and involving the communities in the show. So there's always like little spaces where we have a surprise where, so for example, where, where we have uh, workshops with the community and we teach them a little bit of the show that then pops up as part of the the tour and that's beautiful so we run we run a program in the last tour um, called unexpected leaders and we we work with communities to find people who aren't the people who have the loudest voice who don't jump out as leaders but actually have got a gentle quiet about them that means they've got the potential to shine as leaders and we do work with what we call unexpected leaders because we you know we know that there's a lot of leaders who shout loud and jump up and down and that sort of thing and, and have a louder voice um, and we kind of think there are some you know leaders who have got all sorts of different skills um, and then we kind of, those are successes because the show continues after we've left. And those leaders, we've, we do a bit of leadership work with them. And then they continue that leadership and developing new shows and new ideas and maybe doing their own thing as well as staying in touch with us. 
and 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 making connections that that is somehow about us all being about this social change that we desperately desperately need in this world right now like to thank you for taking time out to do this but if you can stay on the line for a sec that'd be great yeah no worries yeah